Greeting time might be the most popular part of church service, I think. Uh, might be. Um, good morning once again. And welcome to those listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We're blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning. And for those of you standing, I guess you can remain standing. We, we will now have our call to worship. So if, if you aren't, please uh, rise and join me. The call to worship is taken from Psalm 120. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept the record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his old world I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. And now let us join the praise team and sing, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, New Wine, and Open Our Eyes. Psalm 130, verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities.
33 through 4. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be revered.
the opportunity to come and to worship you freely and to proclaim your name. God, we do want to see you. We want our ears open and our hearts and our minds to just be flooded with your Holy Spirit this morning. God, we ask that you would teach us, that you would reveal yourself to us, that your spirit would be hovering in this room and teaching us all about you and your love for us this morning. Help us to encounter you as we worship you today. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our church family and in our community. You are bringing that new wine out of us. You're making us vessels, and you're showing us how you want us to live as your people. You're molding, you're shaping, you're stretching, and you're leading us as individuals and as a church. And God, we thank you for that. Heavenly Father, you have also called us to be bold. You've called your people to stand on your truth. And part of being bold means that we stand for life, Lord. You have created every man and every woman in your image to represent you here on this earth. Help us to represent you well by taking a bold stance for life and the protection of all life, Lord. We thank you that we live in a country where we can have a voice and that we can use that voice to stand for you and for your truth. God, help us to do that. Father, we also lift up everyone on the prayers and concerns list this morning. God, you promise in your word that everyone who is weary or carrying heavy burdens can come to you and they can find rest in you, true rest for their souls that they need. And so we pray for those that are struggling this morning, whether it's things that we know about or those secret struggles that we don't want to share with anyone. God, would you just remind each person that's carrying that heavy load this morning that they can come to you, that you will give them rest, that you will take those burdens and the things that they are carrying that just feel so heavy that you can take them off their shoulders and walk with them through it. God, you promise to be with us each and every moment of every day. And we thank you for that promise, Lord. We thank you that you are always with us, and no matter what, you will never leave or forsake us. And so, God, I pray that as we continue to worship you, Lord, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, and help us to tune in to what you need us to hear this morning. And, Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. May be seated. And at this time, the kids can come forward for children's chat. Oh my goodness, they're running. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. I am here. You are here. We are here and we are all together. It's easy. I got to sit down, bud. Well, good morning. Oh my goodness, what a good looking group. All right, well, you too, sweetheart. All right. That's a good-looking crowd. Oh, my goodness. Even the ones that don't belong to me. Y'all look good. How about that? Well, we got time. We'll wait a second here. Getting close. Getting close. Not a problem. All right. Good morning. Good morning. How is everybody today? Good. Everybody warm enough? Was it chilly this morning? Oh, yeah. Wait till tomorrow. All right. It's going to get cold. Crispy. 
Krispy Krispy. How many of you know what a prophecy is? What is a prophecy? Is that a big, weird word? How many folks have heard it before? We got one. One person's even heard it before. That's good. Okay. Well, a prophecy is, how about this? I'll, I'll do it a different way. You ready for this? You ready for this? Okay. I'll start with a joke. Okay. Boo. Oh, oh, you're so scary. Oh, you're so scary. Boo-hoo. Did you, don't cry about it. You don't have to cry about it. I messed up the punchline. Don't cry about it with the boo-hoo. How many folks have heard the knock-knock joke where you say boo-hoo? And you don't have to cry about it. Okay, so what's a prophecy? A prophecy is a big story where you already know the end. They tell the end ahead of time. Yeah? A prophecy is all through the Bible. It's the idea that we know the end of something before it kind of happens. How many folks can see the future? Anyone know what's going to happen tomorrow? How about 100 years from now? How about 1,000 years from now? Okay. Well, today, today's Bible story comes from the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is what is called a prophet, which is the fancy kind of person that would have visions and dreams and all kinds of inspiration from God. He could tell us the stories. He, he knew things that were going to happen before they happened. And he didn't even live to see it happen. Okay? So in Isaiah, it talks all about this guy that's going to come and suffer and save us all and take all of our sins. And we're going to get close to God after that person comes. Who does that sound like? If they're going to suffer, go through pain, they're going to die, they're going to raise from the dead. Take what? That's right. It's the prophecy of Jesus. And so Isaiah tells this story hundreds of years ahead of time. Hundreds of years ahead of time. Okay? I got a way to show this. One more way. You ready? How many, know, how many folks know what this game is? You want to play this game? You ever play this? Okay. We got the old school one. It doesn't have like foods and all these kind of different things. Now it's like there's animals and foods and all this weird stuff. Like, give me the people. All right. It's guess who, not get, guess what thing I'm not going to eat off my dinner plate. So what we're going to look at. Oh, my goodness. It looks like this game got a little jostled. How does guess who work? How do you play guess who? You try to guess the character that the other person has. Right. And how do you keep track of it? If it doesn't match. So if I say, does your person have a beard? So I ask Benjamin, does your person have a beard? You say, nope, no beard. And then what do I do? I go ahead and I knock down all the people that have beards, right? Yeah, who's that? Jordan. <laughs> Jordan's got a beard. <laughs> anyway, so does that Jordan. So, oh, there's a beard. Al's got a beard. Okay. Daniel's got a beard. Okay. So the idea is, right? We're basically getting clues, aren't we? I ask you, do they have red hair? And you say, no, no red hair. Well, then I go no knock down all no red hair. That's right. Well, in the Bible, we're going to see, did you, uh, did you suffer for all of the world to take away their sins? Who would that be? Jesus. So we knock everybody else down, right? If we had, a, if we had a, a Bible, guess who? Does that make sense? So listen today, okay, listen today, and I hope, I hope that's part of the scripture. It's in Isaiah 53, but hopefully that's the selection we hear today. But the idea is, there's lists, there's all kinds of things that happened a long time ago that Isaiah predicted. He knew it was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen, and he pointed everything toward Jesus getting here, saving us all. All right? You ready to say a quick prayer? All right. Let's hold our hands and pray then real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing these young hearts and minds together today. And Lord, just grant them wisdom and knowledge and especially protection in these times. Lord, just continue to pour into them, fill up their hearts with kindness and goodness and your will. May you put a protective hand over them as they go from this place 
and all the days of their lives. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks, thanks, Clinton. As the choir comes forward for our special music this morning, I want to take a moment and remind you what our offering is for today. Uh, our offering will go to support Wayne Lunsford and the work he does with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Um, it's a very important ministry. Um, there's people all over this world who do not have the Bible in their native language. And so what Wycliffe does is they work with Bible translators, they work with local people groups in an attempt to translate our scriptures into their native language. Now imagine how important that is for an individual to be able to read the Bible in the language that they speak. We take it for granted, don't we, that we have copies of the Bible that we can just pick up and read anytime we want. Well, that's not true for everybody in the world. And so Wycliffe works to translate the Bible into native languages. And so our offering today will support Wayne and the work that he does with Wycliffe uh, to translate the Bible. So I want to encourage you to give as you feel led to give this morning. I invite our deacons to come forward as our choir sings for us.
Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you have blessed us with so many things. And as we take up this offering this morning, it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge your provision in our lives. And we're able to honor you by giving back for the work of your kingdom in this place. And today, specifically, this offering. And we thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen. standing for our scripture reading this morning, taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made the intercession for the transgressors. Thank you, Maria. You may be seated. Let's pray together again. Father, as we gather here now around your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in this place. I think we do thank you for your word, which is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. 
And so we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may your Holy Spirit give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a look here at the prophet Isaiah. And as Clinton so helpfully pointed out during children's chat, it's important for us to, to take a moment and reflect on what prophecy is before we continue on to talk about the specifics of this passage. If you're following along in our Bible reading plan, we've been in Isaiah for a little while now. And Isaiah is the first of what are called the major prophets at the end of our Old Testament. There's Isaiah, there's Ezekiel, there's Jeremiah. And then after that, there are 12 minor prophets, smaller books of the Bible, but of the same nature. Now, for those of you who have made it this far in your Bible reading plan, you know that there are different genres in, in scriptures. There's different uh, types of writings, and prophecy is one of the major ones in scripture. And, and Clinton is right. One of, the, one of the features of prophecy is that, it, is that the prophets would deliver messages from God and pointing people towards what is yet to come. See, the thing about prophecy is that Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Nahum, right? These individuals had no ability in and of themselves to tell the future or to know what was about to happen. It was only through God because for him, there is no past, present or future. There is only the present, right? Because God exists eternally at all times and in all places. And so God is able to, at his will, reveal things to his people. And so there's two aspects of prophecy we read in Scripture. There is both foretelling and foretelling. Now let me say that again because that was, a, that was maybe not very clear. Foretelling, which is delivering a message on behalf of God to the people, right? So, so God would use his prophets like Isaiah to deliver a message for the people of God in that present time. And if you've been reading through Isaiah, you know there's a lot of messages of comfort, of hope, of judgment for the people in that day. But then another feature of prophecy is the foretelling, which would be that the prophets would sometimes receive messages from the Lord about what is yet to come. The hope of God's judgment against their enemies. The hope of the day of the Lord when God would return and set all of the wrongs in this world right. And one of the major prophecies we see throughout the book of Isaiah is the prophecy of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53 is probably the most well-known of them, but there are several passages in Isaiah that point forward to this individual appointed by God to come and to, and to redeem and rescue Israel, to rescue the people of God. See, the interesting thing about Isaiah 53 is that it is talking about Jesus, but it was written centuries before he was born. Now, we're going to talk about this more in just a moment, but, but as you heard Maria read the passage this morning, it probably sounded like a blow-by-blow account of the crucifixion, didn't it? It's hard as Christians to not see that in the words of Isaiah 53. But these words were written centuries before the birth of Christ. Isaiah was speaking a message on behalf of God, and he was preparing his people and helping us now, even thousands of years later, to understand the purpose and the role of his suffering servant, of his Messiah, of Jesus the Christ. 
You see, the passage in Isaiah 53 helps us to understand why Jesus needed to be, we needed to come in the first place. Right? And we know that this suffering servant that Isaiah 53 is talking about is that long-waited Messiah, the King who was to come. In verse 2, it says that he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. That, those words are very important. If you go earlier in Isaiah, like Isaiah chapter 11, this Messiah, the future king that descended from David, is described as a branch that sprouts from the stump of Jesse. In other words, that this Messiah who was to come would bring new life out of something that appeared to be dead. If you understand what's happening in the history of God's people at this time, you know that, I, that Israel had already been conquered. The northern kingdom of Israel had already been conquered by Assyria. The southern kingdom of, of Judah was about to be conquered by Babylon. And yet God, through Isaiah, is reminding His people that His promises are not dead, but they are alive. That line of kings had been cut off, was a dead stump sticking out of the ground. God promises that one day a root will flourish. A branch will come and He will fulfill those promises. But as we read Isaiah 53, it's pretty obvious that this future messianic king, this Jesus, does not look like the kind of king they expected, right? Isaiah 53 does not describe a, a parade, a procession of triumph and victory through the streets of Jerusalem. It describes an individual who willingly suffers and dies in order to save his people from their sin. Who has ever heard of a king who willingly died for his people? Who has ever heard of a, a leader who willingly sacrificed himself in order to save his people? Yet that's exactly what Isaiah 53 describes for us, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And so as we look through Isaiah 53 together this morning, what I want you to notice is that Jesus, the suffering servant of this chapter, willingly laid down his life, willingly died in order to save his people from their sin. Jesus died for you and for me. And God was trying to help his people understand that even centuries before the birth of Christ. But in order to understand the significance of that salvation, in order to understand what exactly Jesus did for us, we need to also understand the seriousness of sin. Because if you read through Isaiah 53, you can't help but notice the severe punishment that is laid on this individual because of their sin. Because not their sin, but because of the sin of God's people. Sin's not exactly something we like to talk about very much nowadays, is it? But it's important for us to be able to acknowledge sin for what it is, to, to define it so that we can recognize it in our own life and turn to God and experience His salvation. And so, first of all, we need, to, we need to define sin. Sin is the inability to do what God asks us to do in our lives. The inability to line our lives up with God's will and God's character. Now, that can be both intentional acts and unintentional acts. But it's all sin. Sin is sometimes described as rebellion in Scripture. It's, it's revolting against God's righteous rule in our lives. 
And so we know what God calls us to do and we intentionally do the opposite. Right? And that can be in big ways and it can be in little ways. But, but sin is knowing what God has called us to do and choosing not to do it. But sin is also missing the mark. Right? Sometimes we think of sin as just the, the intentional bad things we do. But sometimes sin is trying to do the right thing but falling short. Right? Nobody scores 100% on all of their tests, right? Sometimes as hard as you try and as hard as you study, you're going to still miss some of the questions. And that's exactly how Scripture sometimes describes sin. It's, it's actually a term that is derived from archery, right? You've got, you got a bow and arrow, you've got a target, and as hard as you try to hit the bullseye, sometimes your arrow is going to fall short. Sometimes it's going to go wide of the mark. And so sin is not just doing the wrong Choosing to do the wrong thing, but it's also failing to do the right thing even when we try. But more than that, more than the actions we do or the words we say, sin is really a state of being. It's a, it affects us right down to our very core. It's more than just the sum of our actions or the sum of our words. It affects us at the very core of our being. See, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it impacted their themselves and, and that original sin is passed on to us. And so, so let me, let me put it this way. Sin is not, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Let me say that again. We are, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. In other words, it's a, a apart from the grace and the transforming power of God in our lives, we by nature can't help but sin. It's part of who we are. That's serious. But yet there is hope too. The seriousness of sin is also in the consequence of it, the result of it. Scripture teaches us that the result of sin is death, physical and spiritual. Romans 6.23 says that, that the wages of sin is death. When God told Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He said, you will certainly die. Now, they didn't drop dead the moment they took a bite, but physical death and spiritual death were certainly a part of the consequences of their rebellion. We die physically because apart from God, we are cut off from the source of life. And spiritual death is the separation from God. Eternal separation from Him. So think about what the servant here experiences as a result of sin. Right? He had, it is a brutal punishment. He is crushed. He is pierced. He dies because of sin. You see, the punishment for sin is death. The servant endures both physical suffering and spiritual suffering. How many of you have ever seen the Passion of the Christ. I know it's, it's been out for almost 20 years now, if I'm not mistaken, but the depiction of Jesus' suffering and the crucifixion in that movie is hard to see. It's hard to watch. And yet I heard reports that they had to tone it down for filming of the movie just to be able to show it in theaters. What Jesus endured for us was beyond our understanding. But more than just physical suffering more than just the physical pain of, of the, the beatings and the crucifixion, 
It was the spiritual reality of sin. When Jesus died on the cross, He took the full weight of our sin upon Himself. So you may ask, right, why is sin so serious? Why must death be the result? Think about your own life, right? You, you probably can think of a, a, a thousand things that you've done were really, that weren't really that big of a deal, right? And you may say, yeah, I know it was wrong, but it certainly doesn't deserve death. You see, when we think that way, we are, we are rating our sin based on the impact that it has on our lives or on the lives of others. But that's not how Scripture rates sin. It's not about the size of the sin or the impact of the sin. It's about the one we offend with our sin. And yes, there are people in our lives that are impacted by our sin. Ourselves, our families, our friends, this world we live in, right? You can see the effects that sin has. But first and foremost, Scripture says that our sin is an offense to God. David, in his great uh, prayer of confession in Psalm 51, as he's, as he's confessing to God the, his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, he says, against you and you alone have I sinned, speaking to the Lord. Right? David had done terrible things, and there was consequences, far-reaching consequences for his sin. But David realized, first and foremost, that his sin was against God. Every time we sin, we are offending the holy, righteous, infinite God that created us and that demands our allegiance. And so all sin is an affront to Him. And so therefore all sin bears that we cannot pay ourselves. And so we must rely on Jesus to pay it for us. And so the seriousness of sin cannot be ignored, right? It must be dealt with. It must, the price must be paid. But before we talk about what that price is, we must also understand the dangers of downplaying sin in our lives. So if sin is so serious, we must treat it seriously in our lives. But yet we look around our culture and we realize that we are in danger of downplaying sin rather than acknowledging it for what it is. There's three ways that we do that. First is that we simply disregard or ignore it. We don't call sin what it is. We don't acknowledge the reality of it or the impact that it can have on our lives. And so we need to acknowledge sin for what it is. We need to allow God to define that for us, not ourselves. But even when we acknowledge sin, we then downplay its impact. We don't think it's that big of a deal, right? So we may acknowledge that something is wrong, but then we downplay its impact. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. It didn't really hurt anybody. And the third thing, after we disregard it and after we downplay it, then we celebrate it. Right? We, we celebrate sin as something that is good. And Scripture talks about that, how that is a reality in our world. Right? There are people that call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing that in our lives today. But again, that's not a new reality. That's been going on for a long, long time. People who disregard sin, people who downplay it, will eventually then go on to celebrate it. So Isaiah 53 teaches us about the seriousness of sin. It then goes on to talk about the salvation from sin that we can experience. The suffering servant willingly died for his people. 
He died as a substitute. I, w- I want to encourage you to look at, for example, verses 4 through 7. I'm going to just highlight the ways that Isaiah 53 talks about how this suffering servant, Jesus, was a substitute for us. So beginning in verse 4, it says, He took our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was punished for our peace. His wounds heal us. He laid, the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of all of us. Notice the, the transfer that's taking place there. It was our sin that deserved punishment. It's our sin that deserves death. And yet this individual, this Jesus, took it upon Himself. He did it all as a substitute for you and for me. But He did also did it willingly. It describes Him as a, as a sheep being led to slaughter. A lamb being led to slaughter and a sheep that is silent before its shears. There's this Passover and sacrifice imagery that's at work here, right? A lamb being led to slaughter brings to mind the, the, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Lambs were sacrificed in, in the place of people. And it was their sacrifice that covered over their sins. But even those sacrifices were insufficient. They were only meant to point us to the reality of Jesus and the ultimate sacrifice that He would, made, that he would make. And ultimately, this willing substitute, it was all part of God's plan. In verse 10, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. If you go back to verse 1 in this chapter, it talks about the message of God who has believed this message and, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. Arm is a, is a metaphor for power, strength. The message, the power, the message of God is that that. Sinful people can be saved through a substitutionary sacrifice. The, the power of God is revealed in His salvation. And it is the suffering servant that makes it possible. And in verse 12, it says that it's His death. Looking again to Isaiah 53. Because He poured out His life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Jesus' word speaks a better, Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that. You see, in Genesis chapter 4, after Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they had two children, Cain and Abel. We're not going to get into why, you know, the, the details of the story, but, but if we fast forward to the end, Cain is angry at his brother Abel and he murders him. And the Lord appears to Cain and says, asks him, what's going on? Where is your brother? And he says, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. You see, Abel's blood cried out for justice. For justice to be done. But Jesus' blood calls out to us and says that justice has been served already. That the punishment has already been paid. That is the good word. That is the gospel. That is the hope that we build our lives on. That Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. It doesn't demand justice. It says that justice has already been served. And so it calls us to then confess and repent. So if we understand the seriousness of sin, if we understand 
the salvation from sin, all that work's already been done for us. So the question is then, how are we to respond? We respond by confessing and repenting. Confessing acknowledges our sin and our need for a Savior. We must acknowledge that we have all fallen short of God's glory. And when we repent, we are acknowledging that it's not enough to just turn away from our sin, but we also must turn toward Christ. Right? A ship that, is, that has been lost at sea, it's not enough to just admit that they're lost. They need to figure out how to get back on the correct path. And that's what repentance is all about. It's, it's acknowledging your loss. It's acknowledging your need to be saved. But then it's also turning towards the one thing that can save you. And that is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the suffering servant on your behalf. And finally, after acknowledging the seriousness of sin and the salvation from sin, we see here Isaiah 53 even talks about the victory over sin. That after the suffering servant willingly laid down his life and poured his life out unto death, that the Lord saw fit to give him life once again. It says that even after his suffering, even after his death, he will prolong his days and he will see the light of life again. See, that's exactly what Jesus accomplished in the cross and in the empty tomb. When the women first went to the Easter tomb on Easter morning and, and reported back to the, to the disciples, they couldn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But they shouldn't have been surprised that's right there in Isaiah 53, that this suffering servant would die for their sins, but that he would then see the light of life again. Death could not hold him. Death in the grave and sin had been conquered through Christ. You see, that's the good news. That's the hope we have in Jesus, is that is that our sin has been removed from us, that He took the punishment that we deserved. All sin deserves death. And yet in Christ, that, that penalty has been paid. And so if that's true, if, if your sin has been removed and laid on Christ, that means you don't bear it anymore. That means you don't bear the penalty of that sin. Instead, you can experience eternal life in Christ. experience his salvation. I'm going to close by just reflecting briefly on John 11. This is the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is a good friend of Jesus and he had died and had been gone for four days. And when Jesus shows up, Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, confront Jesus. They said, if you were here, our brother wouldn't have to die. And Jesus responds to them and tells them, I am the resurrection and the life that even though that everyone who believes in me, even though they die, they shall live, right? That is our hope, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he has conquered death for us. And if we put our trust in him, if we are found in Christ, then death itself cannot hold us down. And that we will experience the resurrection of Christ that he has endured and earned for us. But it requires that we turn to him in faith. It requires that we can and repent and put our trust in Him. 1 John 1 9 says, God is faithful. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let's thank God for that salvation. Father, we thank you so much for 
the price that you paid for us, the price for our salvation. And we thank you, Lord, that you revealed what needed to be done centuries before Jesus was born. That through the prophet Isaiah, you told about a suffering servant who would come to live and to die and to live again for our sake and for our salvation. Lord, I pray that everyone that's here today, that's listening online or on the radio, would, would understand just what you've done for them and turn to you in faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing song together. God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may go in peace. You too. See you Wednesday. Sometimes we have to be here Wednesday for that. I'm sorry I came up about a, a long and short one that I thought was wrong. I was like, oh, there's the end. Oh, I have more. I have more. <laughs>